Balls deep in carp he was. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, season two of the Doctor Who pod. That's right, we are back. And when I say we, it is obviously the pair of us, the duo. My name is Sai, and with me, as always, someone who is desperately trying to make me laugh when I'm doing my intro this week and is not being very productive in the slightest. <laughs> it's taken me 15 minutes <laughs> to get this out. <laughs> it's Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, mate? Oh, bringing the chaos as usual, my friend. I'm more than happy to do so. Uh, but it's it's a good day for me. Uh, my hometown, York City, I've got promotions and uh, back to the National League. Uh, Liverpool are still with a slim chance of winning the title. Champions League finals to come. And I've been watching some classic Doctor Who this week. Awesome stuff, mate. Awesome stuff. I have a sore throat now because you made me laugh so much before... <laughs> when we were trying to record the intro that I started coughing and now my throat hurts. So <laughs> it's not, it's not a good look. So if I sound a bit um, croaky or, or anything, that that's why it's completely Dan's fault. All right. I'm, I'm doing the same. I, I keep, um, I try to have a drink because we did the same thing we did when we just laughed at a penis joke for too long. And now I'm, <laughs> I've kind of just got phlegm and Pepsi just at the back of my throat and it's getting difficult yeah. to speak. Yeah, it's a bit cruel. This is not a good start to our second season, mate, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> not, the, well, not the most professional. <laughs> well, we're picking up where we left off. Well, I suppose, yeah, very true, very true. Ah, and yes, there we go. This is season two of the Doctor Who pod. I hope everyone enjoyed what we did with our first season. Uh, this season is going to be kind of similar, I guess, in that we're going to both be picking different stories to look at. But on this, this time round, I will be taking care of the the new who episodes and dan will be picking the classic who episodes but we're also going to be throwing a guest in every now and again who's going to pick a, a story from pretty much whatever era they like for us to go through with them as well so yeah looking forward to it dan it's going to be good yeah <coughs> throw it going again sorry about that <laughs> oh god it's not a good start this is backfiring spectacularly but yeah, i'm really really happy to get the guests on it's going to be interesting getting uh, getting third voices into the mix and uh, and You'll have someone to uh, to corral me and, and share in the chaos, which will be very nice. Yes, indeed. indeed. <laughs> uh, anyone hearing this, sort of thinking about potentially wanting to guest on the show for this season, we're pretty much booked. We're not. We, we don't want to become a show that is very much a case of guests all the time. It's going to be a select couple, and then the format seemed to work so well in season one. We're going to try and stick to in season two. But if you want to be a guest on a future episode of the Dot Two Pod season three, we're going to be looking at more guests as well, and so on. And and basically, the, as long as people are interacting with us and people are listening and people want to be involved, we're going to keep going. Until we run out of Doctor Who stories, of course. <laughs> well, to be fair, that'll take a while. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. All right. Uh, so, our first episode, 
for season two is from New Who. It's one that I've chosen. Uh, and it's quite interesting for me going back through New Who. As I said quite a lot on our first season, I watched it all as it happened, I think. But there are certain episodes that I potentially missed or completely forgotten about and so on. So picking New Who for me is really interesting because I don't know if I'm pick necessarily picking something good or bad. I don't want to look into it too deeply before I select it. Because ultimately, I think we're going to get round to covering pretty much everything at some point in the future anyway. So if I pick something rubbish, so be it. But just the way it is. And I suppose the same with you, Dan. I mean, you've already been thinking about what we're going to look at from Classic Who. And as you said in season one, you know, pretty much every time we looked at a Classic Who story, you've not watched any Classic Who until then. So is it, how, how's the selection process so far been for you? Uh, very rushed. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> um, with uh, with work and other projects, it's um, it's something that I'll be honest, I forgot about until last night. But, I already, had, but <laughs> I already had one in mind uh, for my selection, so I've decided to go with that. And we'll obviously we'll get to it later. But um, yep. on the back of uh, on the back of season two, uh, season one, sorry, uh, I have gone back and I actually watched the uh, the ten part pa- uh, Patrick Troughton series, his final serial, uh, War Games. Okay. <clears throat> I went back and watched that a couple of episodes a night uh, over the course of a week. Actually, really liked it. And I'm more curious about the regeneration scene more than anything. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty damn good. You know, just seeing how we came to be exiled on Earth and and all of that, it was, yeah, really enjoyed it. It was nice on a night, easily digestible, 25, 50 minutes a pop. Good stuff. And I'm uh, embarking on, uh, on John Pertwee from the beginning now as well. Oh, excellent stuff. Ah, cool. You're probably going to end up what, having more of that being familiar to you than it is to me, to be honest, if that's what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just while I've had a bit of a, a precious bit of free time this week, hmm. uh, work, a time recording work goes a little bit mental for the next four weeks or so. So, uh, you know, viewing time may be limited outside of, uh, you know, stuff for podcast projects. But yeah, it's uh, definitely, it's worked its way into my routine and I'm very happy. Ah, nice. Nice. Okie doke. Well, we're not going to be looking at anything that old today, obviously, as I said. New Who is on the agenda for our first episode back. And we're going to be looking at a Peter Capaldi episode. And I chose Heaven Sent. And first off, I'm a little bit disappointed because considering the era I'm picking from, there's barely any Clara in it. So that's (laughs) (laughs) I blatantly screwed up there, didn't I? But I can remember this being on the telly. You know, when I watched it back, you know, for, for today's recording, I can remember sitting down with my wife and watching this when it was on the TV. And I remember it being bloody great then. And I really enjoyed it this time round as well. Is this one that you're particularly familiar with, Dan? Or? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Very much familiar with this. And it's an absolute belter. It's one of, it's one of Capaldi's best episodes. And it was, it was actually part... Series 9 was... Pretty bloody good looking back. I think the first half of it goes a bit unappreciated, but looking back on it now, the opening two-parter with Missy and the Daleks and Davros is fantastic. The second okay. two part, the second two-parter was decent, where you had the uh, the underwater ghost and, and the Fisher King, who was played by fucking Corey Taylor. The vo- actually voiced by Corey Taylor from Slipknot was ridiculously cool. Oh my god! See, I remember that again. This is the sort of thing that happens all the time with New Who. You have said that, and I'm sat and I going, "Oh my god, yes, of course." But if you hadn't brought that up, 
that would have been completely gone from my memory forever unless we happened to pick it for an episode of the podcast one day. That's how my yeah. mind kind of works. It's just kind of gone, you know? It's running in the background somewhere. Well, I don't know about running. Walking it's briskly? <laughs> limping? <laughs> yeah, limping, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, sorry, carry on. You were talking about the first half yeah. of this. So, And then we had a third two-parter, so it, they were obviously trying something different in having two-parters throughout, almost. The third two-parter was average at best, but it introduced a key character in uh, a shielder. Then you had the Zygon Invasion and the Zygon Inversion, which were just fantastic. And it included that um, anti-war monologue from Peter Capaldi. Possibly the finest speech he ever gave as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had Sleep No More, which was a standalone episode, which was superb. Just the way it was executed and, and the big reveal at the end. Uh, Reese Shearsmith played a fantastic part. Um, that may well work its way in when I'm next um when I'm next picking Cabaldi. And then we get Face the Raven, which leads into the episode we're covering today. Um Face the Raven brings back a shielder who's after the events earlier in the series, she's immortal. And she's keeping aliens safe in modern day London on this place called the Street, which is essentially a hid, you know street hidden in plain sight. It's got one of the um oh, what's it called perception uh, perception filters. Okay, yeah. And there's a, a character from the previous season, Riggs E's on trial. He's got he's only got so long to live. And Clara takes the I don't want to call it a curse, but it takes the sentence off him, not realizing that she can't pass it on. Okay. And effectively, Clara, what they call faces the Raven, and is killed. And the Doctor's then forced into a teleporter, and that's how that episode ends. And that's where we pick up on. So while it's, this isn't sort of directly part of, of a serial, it kind of is, because the episode we watch now then feeds into the finale. Right. Um, so it's, it's, this works as a standalone episode. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if you said the title. It's Heaven Sent. Yes. Um, it works as a standalone episode, but technically it's the middle part of a three-parter. Yeah, and we... we, we discussed that when we were messaging back and forth didn't we uh mm-hmm. talking about uh, the options that uh, you know i had effectively from capaldi for this for this opening episode of our show and i said a standalone would be good you know yeah surely time wise it helped with our, with our first episode back for our second season and i picked this one thinking it was a standalone and you were like well it's kind of part of this bigger story and i was like ah oh, shit <laughs> and then you're like but it does work as a standalone and i was like oh okay sweet so we'll go with this <laughs> and, and uh, i really want to talk about it because it, it is one of the best the best capaldi episodes absolutely mm. yeah it's definitely, superb. Definitely. right from the the intro then i guess we have this sort of creepy mysterious sort of monologue from from the doctor don't we Mm. talking about you know it's always coming there's something that's always coming for you and you know uh, whether you're running it maybe walking and so on but at the time when i'm watching this back it didn't really make a lot of sense to me what he was referring to mm. it's he's referring to death yes um, yeah. but he says uh, when you as you come into this world something else is born um you know as you begin your life it begins its journey and it, it really is creepy we say yeah. never faster never slower always coming you will run, it will walk, you will rest, it will not. And then said, you know, eventually you'll you'll stop for too long and you'll notice a second shadow next to yours and your life will be over. And it's all the while it's got these 
sort of haunting images of you know blood on the floor and, and castle and we we then see a hand pull a lever and just burn away but the hands are messed beforehand as well isn't it it's kind of oh yeah scarred burnt yeah and it's like uh, the, the the castle <clears throat> and the corridors that it's kind of going through as as the doctor's delivering this monologue you like you said you've got the blood on the floor so quite, straight away you're a bit like okay what's going on here and it is quite a creepy almost i suppose very old looking almost gothic-esque kind of corridor with the big stones and so on in the walls and that yeah. and then you see this hand that is you know obviously somebody has been through something to make them look like that and so yeah. straight away even before even before the music hits you're looking at it and you're thinking oh bloody hell what's going on here oh yeah it's it's mad it, it sets the tone so well so early and then as, as that lever's pulled and the hand burns away to nothing the doctor arrives in the teleport Mm-hmm. which is how the previous episode ended. So you're thinking, if somebody pulled the lever to get the Doctor there, what's, you know, you're basically thinking, what the hell's going on? And we get the Doctor recalling that Clara's died. You know, so we see flashes of, of the Raven, uh, effectively killing her, really. And he says one of the most badass things the Doctor has ever said. And I'm, I'm going to do. I've got me. I've got it transcribed. Yeah, please if, do. So I love it when you do this. I'm not going to lie. If you think she, if you think because she is dead, I am weak, then you understand very little. If you were any part of killing her and you were not afraid, then you understand nothing at all. So for your own sake, understand this: I'm the Doctor. I'm coming to find you, and I will never ever stop. Liam Neeson, take your head for a shit. That's how you say it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very good, isn't it? And Capaldi, I mean, effectively, this whole episode is just Peter Capaldi. Mm. It's, it's, it. the, it's like the polar opposite of Blink. In yeah. the, that is v- virtually no Doctor. This is all. This is ninety nine percent Doctor. Yeah, and and the the majority of of spoken word is Capaldi talking to himself or talking mm. to an image in his head or, or whatever, or running through things like in a, in a monologue sometimes or asking himself questions and, and mm. then almost answering his own questions and so on. But it feels, it feels like Capaldi whilst he's doing this is effectively providing almost a form of commentary to what you're seeing on screen. You know, and yeah. I think that's, and that's what in a way that the fact that the doctor's on his own for the majority of this episode, well, pretty much all of this episode, it makes it, kind of creepier that he is yeah. on his own even though he's still talking to i suppose you not 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 directly but it feels like he's talking kind of to you as the viewer doesn't it but it, it's exactly the sort of thing that someone would do in that situation mm. so you would want to be listening out for any anybody else or anything potentially dangerous but as well you, you need to feel like you're not alone just to keep your, your head on straight so you would have a little natter to yourself you would be you know, having your mind would be going a mile a minute. So it's it's weirdly relatable, but it, it's so helpful from from a television point of view. You know, as the viewer, you're getting all this sort of narrate, like you say, narration and commentary. It's been like the one of the first things, two of the first things he says is, you know, he's figuring out it's a, a you know, it's an ultra long range teleport, so he's no more than a light year from where he was. Which I looked that up, a light year is six trillion miles. So you know, that's a fair old jump. Um, <laughs> you know, just a wee bit. But then he's walking through these corridors, but still trying to be confident and saying, Clara said I shouldn't take revenge. You should know I don't always listen. 
Yeah, another great line. Cool. Yeah. And then he finds the spade with dirt on it. And he says, what are you gardeners? I hate gardening. What sort of person has a power complex about flowers? It's dictatorship. <laughs> it's dictatorship for inadequates. Or to put it another way, it's dictatorship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, Which and was brilliant. You do get those moments. I mean, I, I think Capaldi throughout this whole episode is, is superb. And he, he kind of, I suppose he kind of has to be because mm. it is just him. I mean, effectively, it's him in this kind of. I mean, I've got castle stroke cathedral because I got. I, I know it's not Gloucester Cathedral, but when I <laughs> when he's walking down the one corridor, there is a corridor that looks just like that in Gloucester Cathedral, like the spitting image of it. So I got real sort of vibes of that place when he was walking down there. But it, either way, he's walking around the castle and he, he's he's talking to himself, and there are moments when he's defiant and he's giving off these these lines of. Uh, these lines of script and and so on and and speeches that are really powerful and make him seem brave and strong. He's he's, he's vengeful for what's happened and so on. Then there are other moments where he's genuinely terrified. Then there are other moments where he seems quite sad. And it's like, you're getting this incredible performance from this one bloke on screen telling you this whole story, literally through his own tone of voice and his own expressions. And it's, I mean, Capaldi here to me is, is, it's just bloody fantastic. It's amazing. He's always been good as the Doctor. You've said before, he's one of the ones who some of the writing let him down. Um, But this was just... It's a really complex thing to convey um, all the emotions that you go through immediately after somebody dies. Especially somebody close to you. He's having to do that. Add in the vengeance of, of someone like the Doctor... Mm-hmm. And then also adding the fear that, that something's trying to kill him, and he does it all, and he does it all so well. It's it, I can't stress enough how incredible that is to do as an actor. There's not a lot of people out there who could do that justice, but mm-hmm. Capaldi manages it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's a really well written story. This for me but you don't twig on how well written it is, I suppose, until you get to the end. Oh, yeah. The big it's reveal. Those, yeah, it's, it's kind of... I remember sitting there and uh, watching it the first time round. I mean, th- for, the, for the recording, I sat and, and watched it back on my own, as I, as I often do, because uh, I can pause it as I, as I want then to make notes and, and so on. But uh, when I watched it on TV first time round, I, I, I was getting flashbacks of, of my wife saying, what the bloody hell is going on? And I was turning around and going, I've got no idea. Because it is that thing of there's so many aspects to this. I mean, effectively, you, you've, you've got what we will refer to, I suppose, at the, at the moment as the thing, because we don't know right at the start of the episode what this thing is, this massive cloaked, almost Grim Reaper-esque figure, mm. I guess, in a way, stalking the Doctor. But then you can see what this figure can see by various computer monitors or TV screens that are dotted around this old-looking uh, castle place. Mm-hmm. You've got the spade that has popped up. Then you've got a garden that the Doctor finds. And there's all these different bits and bobs. And then there's all these skulls underwater and, and all this sort of st- all these different things happening. And you're like, well, obviously that's that's part of the story and it's there for a reason. But it doesn't get tied up until the end of the episode. And when it happens, you're like, that was just superb. But I wonder yeah. how many people watched this. 
I suppose people of a say, shall we say, I don't know, lower attention span, uh, <laughs> who got maybe halfway through and just thought, this is bollocks, and turned it off? Uh, then fuck them. Yeah, that was that was a that was for comedic effect there. If um, if anybody who did turn it off halfway through, off, I really feel sorry for him because I love this kind of thing where you don't get the you don't twig yeah. on until the end. There was a series a couple of years ago for um, uh, Watchmen, um, you know, after the comic book and the movie and, and all the rest of it, and that had multiple story threads running for all eight episodes. And you, nothing made full sense until the final episode. And I love that sort of thing. A bit like Flux as well. Nothing, so, you know, everything sort of started falling into place the further along you got. And I love anything mm-hmm. like that. Because like you say, you've got all these pieces and you're thinking, well, that's that's all great. But your knowledge and your sort of perception of everything, of what's going on, develops along with the Doctor's which is brilliant. He's figuring things out and you're, you're going along for the ride in, I was going to say real time, but you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Again, incredibly difficult thing to do and it has to be so cleverly written. And, but the subtle hints that they give throughout this, like one of them that stuck, that stuck out to me was at one point, the doctor finds a skull. He goes back to the the teleporter room. Mm -hmm. I was, was skipping ahead and he finds a skull and a door opens to a staircase to lead to the top of the castle. He goes up there, and he puts it down, and then things happen. And then later on, it cuts from the skull directly to Capaldi's face. Yeah. And we'll get to the big reveal, but that is such a great bit of foreshadowing. But it's it's visual foreshadowing. foreshadowing. It's not like, you know, it's not like Colin, Colin Baker, Haley's comet spells disaster. Disaster is coming. <laughs> that should be a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> what Haley's comet means disaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we get a wee wee beep boop on as well? Oh, it's funny <laughs> you mention that, Dan. It's funny you mention that, you cheeky bugger. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what could have pro- possibly prompted me to mention what that. Prompted that. That's, yeah, that's, for an- that's for another day. We- it is we've indeed. Had, we- it is we've indeed. been talking about things, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but back things to the, may um, be in the works, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. But back to things we've been saying about all this really good stuff. I'd forgotten about the silly thing at the, uh, near the start when the when the monitors first click on and the doctor. You see the doctor terrified of this creature, this shrouded, yeah. clothed thing with flies around it. He really, he goes down a corridor, opens a door, and there's just a brick wall there. Mm-hmm. And he starts going on about when he was younger. He knew a trick when he was young and telepathic. And he says, you can't make a, a psychic link with a door for, for one obvious reason. They're notoriously cross. Imagine life as a door. Always, people always barging past you and all that knocking, and it's never for you. He says, but if you're just maybe a little bit nice. Basically, he charms a door open. Yeah, I got a note about that here. I, I, I'm not sure about that, mate. It, it was a bit crap. It was, wasn't it? It's a really good episode, but that's the that's the bit crap bit. Um, yeah, yeah, that was not <laughs> cool. At least it unlocks, and then there's a there's a brick wall be behind it, and he's just like, "Oh shit!" But <laughs> if, even after that silliness, you get a moment where he says, "See Clara," because he's, he's expecting her to be there, mm. which you just can't. And then you just kind of go, "Oh, poor doctor." Yeah, <laughs> and it is it is very sad that that moment really sort of hits home because he is re- he's literally referring to her and you know, speaking to her, sorry, as though she is stood next to him. Mm. 
and it kind of has that it's it's not like a big realization but it's kind of like that little moment where he's like oh yeah hang on where he almost kind of catches him catches on to himself doing that yeah it's but again it's come right after a very silly sort of a typically silly Doctor Who moment, you know, the, these things have happened throughout, you know, throughout Doctor Who's history, where you're going to have yeah. something a bit daft and something that you just sort of think, all right, okay, that was that was daft, but let's move past it. And then they've just hit you with an emotional gut punch. And then the Doctor, but the Doctor's still trapped. And he's, he confesses that he's scared of dying. Mm-hmm. But he's there saying, oh, no, this is new, I'm scared, I'm actually scared of dying. And the creature stops, even the flies stop midair. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, I love that effect. I don't know how they do it, but it was so cool. But then everything starts shifting, and the door opens up, and the Doctor escapes. So the the, the sight of this whole castle shifting and moving around, I thought was just brilliant at the time. Yeah, but it reminded me, of, I don't know if it was Harry Potter, potentially, but it reminded me of something else where the stairs all move around. Yeah, well, it, is, it is Harry Potter, yeah. Okay, right. But then it's, as a visual, when you're seeing it happen, is really good, isn't it? Because you can almost see the different corridors sliding across to different entrance ways and, and all sorts yeah. and certain parts of the building. It's literally pivoting around and so on. Really, really cleverly done. As this thing, this cloaked Grim Reaper-esque figure, I guess, has, has, has been frozen by the Doctor saying what he said, but at the same time, he doesn't quite twig why what he has said has frozen this 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 mm. individual or thing, I guess. Because well, he didn't have time to question it, did he? He just had to get away and he can think about it later. Mm. But he, he runs straight into a bedroom. He pick, you know, there's flowers, he picks one up and he, he sees an old sort of cracked portrait of Clara. Yes. Um, you know, he's got an eyeglass. He fishes out this little eyeglass to examine it. And one thing that was great, he puts the thing to his eye and he's holding it. And obviously, you know, it, it's like a magnifying lens or whatever. And he bends down to look at the painting and there's a monitor behind him. And we see the creature, we see the creature's view looking at him, looking at the painting. And that gave me really heavy blink vibes. See, that to me is, oh yeah, totally. I, I'm sorry, I get what you mean, the, the blink vibes. I didn't pick up on that, but now you've said that, you're absolutely spot on the money. It is yeah. because, you know, the, the, the sort of, the character at the foreground of the shot moving to allow you to see something in the background, which is relevant to what's going on in the foreground is just absolutely fantastic. But to me, these monitors that show what this creature is looking at or what this creature can see dotted around the place is such a handy tool for the story because it really adds to that kind of, I suppose, level of, of, of peril level of incoming, uh, incoming danger, I guess, because this, this, this being this creature, it's always moving at the same rate. It's very methodical, very plodding, very, I suppose, in a way, uh, similar to Cyberman-esque in the way that they would just constantly move at the same rate. Obviously, they're moving mm-hmm. a lot quicker, but it's that kind of constant speed, I guess. And that, to me, is quite chilling. The fact that it's just constant all the time, and it doesn't speed up when it's closer to you. It doesn't care. It just knows it's going to get there eventually. And that, that's quite to me in a way that's scarier than something that sees you and starts sprinting. It's a brilliant piece of psychology. Mm. So this thing knows that you eventually will tire. Eventually your body will give up. Eventually you will have to stop. 
but that works. So it's just plod on, plod on, plod on. And then you've got to live with knowing that that's always over your shoulder. It might be 10 miles away. It might be right behind you. Yeah. So you've got to always be hyper aware and have that in your, either in your peripheral vision or the back of your mind. So both physically and mentally, it's, it's, well, we, we come to it in the episode. It's a torture chamber effectively. Yes. Yeah, it is. And this is the point in the story where we find out sort of what this creature is because the doctor's there. He's got the flower. And he's sort of nervously ripping petals off it. Telling a story about when he was a little boy, there was an old lady who died and they covered her in veils, but it was a hot day and the flies came and it gave him nightmares for years. Yeah. And then he says, who's been stealing my nightmares? Which is a, another really cool line. If anybody's counting, we're up to about three or four now. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden as well, it makes the flies make sense. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is Doctor Who. It doesn't have to make sense, I guess. It can be a bit silly. It can whatever. And the flies are... And again, similar to the monitors, I guess the flies are a good tool for for the the script. The flies are a good tool for the story because sometimes one fly will come into shot and land somewhere, and you know, oh crap, that thing is close. It's like the it's like the lights flickering in Mummy on the Orient Express that we covered. Yes, yes, exactly. It's that kind of uh, again we say this word quite a bit. It seems, but it's that kind of foreshadowing what's coming, isn't it? It's that it adds to the mm. fear because you know that's a that, that's a sign or a symbol almost of this thing being close. Now, that aside, you kind of think the flies don't have to be there. Don't, you know, they're, they're not essential to the, anything else other than, you know, the, but then the doctor explains that and all of a sudden it's like, okay, now the flies make sense. Yeah. And it, it, it ties back in again, you know? Mm. And things that a fly is so easily dismissible. And the doctor does it a couple of times initially, ignores the flies and then realizes, hang on, when they're about, the thing's near. Mm-hmm. It's going to yep. get me. But then, basically, we get the doc saying, is it a trap, is it a prison, is it a torture chamber? Saying, you know, somebody should really know better and he's not telling secrets. And you'll, you'll never see this coming. Picks up a stool, breaks a window, and just dives out the window. Yeah. I'm thinking, what yeah, the hell is going on? Long... Yeah, and this is one of those moments where you are sat there thinking, what is, what's, what's, what's going on, what's this about? How is this, you know? Because he's basically now falling to his death, but you know it's the doctor, he's not going to die. Surely. Mm. But they let you think that, and they immediately address it, which is brilliant, because mm -hmm. then you get the Doctor just walking into the TARDIS. And yeah. again, talking to himself effectively, saying, don't you want to know how I survived? And going off about, you're only, you know, there's only one irreplaceable person in an interrogation room, and it's, it's the person being interrogated. So we'll in the room, die faster. <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch his uh, rules of dying? No, I probably did, but I've not made a note of it. <laughs> rule one of dying, don't. Right, yeah. Uh, rule two, <laughs> rule two, slow down. You've got the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> the faster you think, the slower time passes. And, and we're effectively in his imagination at this point. Yeah. And he's he says, he says outright, he's imagining himself in the TARDIS, telling Clara about how he escaped. And he, but he didn't even know there was water there. He just took a gamble because he smelled the salt in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and figured oh, and it, that must be salt water. <laughs> and he's he's sort of counting how long it takes the the table to hit the surface to yeah. know how far a drop it is as well. And, and it's all again, 
And he's been using the petals. He's been using the petals and the eyeglass to gauge the gravity. Yeah, but again, it's it's not these things happening. Him putting the petals out of the out of the flowers and dropping them, the eyeglass falling from his face and and hitting the floor. They seem like nothing. They seem like just you know literally nothing at all. There's no big deal. But then when you get to this moment in the TARDIS and he's explaining what's happened, you're like, why? That's you know, it's a mini reveal in this episode of big reveals. I think. Yeah, and it's just a, a really great example of how the Doctor is always the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Always. So stuff you think is insignificant that you, ends up being significant in a way that nobody would have ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And he's as he's falling, calculating the strength, you know, calculating the time of his fall and the, the chances of him remaining conscious. And it's just... So, it, He's in, he's in what I call the mind TARDIS, you know, because he's, he's in his own imagination. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, you, you've got it spliced in with the footage of him falling and then everything just goes black. And then the TARDIS starts to boot up as he regains consciousness, which yeah, was such a great, idea. such a great metaphor. So but, cleverly done, isn't it? Yeah. And he's, but he's, because he's, you know, unconscious and he's, uh, he, he's just sort of taking a minute. He's saying, can't I just sleep? As in, he's just, he's tired and he just wants to stop. Yeah, he's had enough. He's, and, and that does pop up quite a few times, doesn't it? In these kind of, I suppose, to coin the phrase you just used, imaginary TARDIS moments. He's asking questions to, he's effectively asking questions to Clara's back, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't, Clara is apparently in the room, but you only see her from behind. And mm. let's, I'm not going to go down that road. That's too easy a joke. <laughs> I wasn't even going that way for once. <laughs> and she's stood at this blackboard and the doctor is talking to her, but she's, she's kind of creepy in this as well because she's just stood there and you don't ever see her face. And it, that was kind of eerie at the same time. And, well, we do see a face once. Yes. But I mean, like, yeah. uh, at oh this yeah, moment, at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it kind of makes sense because it's it's in his it's in his imagination, and he's at a point where he'd he'd find the sight of Clara quite difficult, and yeah. you saw that with the way he looked at the at the painting. That he just looked at it, and you could tell he was heartbroken that he felt like someone was taking the piss. But I do like you know having this internal argument with yourself. I think we've all been there. You know, saying, can't I just have five minutes? I just, I can't do it anymore. But you find a way to pull yourself through. Yeah. Um, And then he wakes up underwater and sees an ocean floor covered in skulls, which is metal as fuck. Oh, what an image that was. That was kind of grossly brilliant. It was. (laughs) Yeah, very macabre. Yeah. Just. Yeah, <laughs> just like, and I'm swimming up now. <laughs> yeah, that'll answer that question. Again, you are. It's corpse water again. Yay! So he's in London. <laughs> he's in London in the 1960s. Yeah. Oh, sorry, 2160, whatever it was. Uh, the doctor sort of he then re-enters the the castle, doesn't he? Yeah, and sees clothes on. Well, clothes drying by a fire boots and, and a jacket and so on and then he quickly changes into these clothes that are obviously drier than what he is wearing he's just been in a bloody you know big lake of 
corpse water of all the skulls, for example. And uh, <laughs> he then places his clothes where the other clothes were. So that was the first time I'm starting to think, okay, is this kind of some sort of loopy kind of going back on yourself situation? And I think this is the first moment where the doctor twigs roughly what's going on. Right. Because he, he's gone in, seen the clothes and thought, they're my clothes. How did they get there? Somebody obviously left them to dry. So I'm going to do the same. It, to the point where he goes back and adjusts one of the boots mm. to exactly how the boots were when he found them. Yeah. And it's just like, that is, I think, when he's first got an idea of what's going on. And then... Oh, sorry, Karen. No, it adds weight to what you were saying about how we're learning what's going on at the same time as the Doctor, I guess, because you're there saying that you think that this was the first time the Doctor twigs what's going on. I'm literally sat there being just literally just said, it's it's the first time I kind of twig, okay, well, is this like a sort of Groundhog Day over and over again scenario? Mm. So it backs up your point you made earlier on in that we're, as a viewer sort of going along and picking things up in this story the same time as the doctor yeah and i think this one of the reasons it works is that we only see the doctor we only mm -hmm. see his story quite often you have one or you have two sort of like an a and a b story arc and the b story arc will fill in gaps in the a and a will fill in gaps of b or it'll you know move the story you know one storyline will advance the other however you know whatever whatever this is just one there is only the yeah. Doctor. And it's it's just so cool. It's just so well done. And then we get to one of the scarier points of the uh, <laughs> of, this, of the episode. But one thing I did like, he's wandering around and he finds a room with, the, with a hole in the floor with sand in it. Mm -hmm. And he basically twigs that it's like psychological theatre trying to scare him. He's in a fully automated haunted house and he calls it a killer puzzle box designed to scare me to death and I'm trapped inside. Must be Christmas. <laughs> he's actually, <laughs> when he's realised what it is, he's just like, right, I know what it is and I've got to find a way to beat it. I'm up for that challenge. Let's do this, this shit. But I'll let you go for the scene in the, uh, in the garden. It's again, it's weird because not exactly the same, but there is a little part of Gloucester Cathedral that's kind of similar where you walk out of a, <laughs> you, you can see this kind of little garden through these windows and then you walk through this little hole or, or doorway, I suppose it's called. <laughs> you walk through this doorway and you're in this little clearing, this little garden. It's not exactly the same by any stretch of the imagination, but I got vibes of that again from this moment. And the doctor goes out in, into the garden and sees the spade again and there's effectively what looks like a grave has been d freshly dug and filled in and so on sorry i've um, just got to jump in for a second so i forgetting yep. what a door was uh, just happened as i was taking a swig of my drink with my camera muted and i nearly choked to death so <laughs> that's uh, that's your revenge for uh, for the before recording yeah exactly <laughs> brilliant <laughs> But I mean, it's nighttime as well, and it's mm. it's dark. It, there's like this, the I suppose quite stereotypical. I suppose for certain scenes, mist floating around. The doctor's on his own. 
You've got kind of got the light every now and again from a monitor flickering in the background in the corridor behind him, which again is kind of making it a little bit more eerie. Mm. And he, he thinks, okay, well, somebody obviously wants me to dig, so starts digging. So you imagine the scene. He's in this tiny little garden in this kind of death trap theater, I suppose, knowing this thing is coming for him. And he, he's digging what is effectively a grave in this misty little clearing. And it, mm. the whole thing is just, it's, it's horror film-esque. It's creepy. It's, it's, it's very atmospheric, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. I love it. And it's at this point just about where I completely shat myself. And I shit myself oh, every, yeah. every time I watch this episode, it gets me. Because the doctor's looking at the monitor, as you see, and he figures he's got about an hour. And he's trying to find out where it is, but he can't see anything. The, the, the creature's just looking at something completely nondescript. So he goes well, to open the door. Against, I thought it was against a, a, a wall. I thought it was looking yeah. at a brick. Same. And then he opens the door and it's just there. Yeah. All like eight feet tall and hooded and creepy. And just the music just went up to a sting perfectly. And my ass went like a rabbit's nose. (laughs) 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 So good. But even when when he's fighting the thing back and blocking the door with a spade, he manages to get a bit of science in. Like, you lose the physics of a triangle. (laughs) It, oh, just a brilliant jump scare moment, isn't it? It's 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 excellent, you know. It literally gets me every time. And he just decides that he sees the creature shuffle off and decides, well, it's going away, so I'm going to take the one thing that was keeping it out, which is the spade, and keep digging. Yeah, yeah, it, it, bit it, of a gamble. <laughs> yeah, so, so he's back to digging, and he finally hits something, and he uncovers a a bit of wood, like maybe a coffin. That just says I am in twelve. I thought it was going to say more because he's 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 scraping the dirt away and it says I am in, and then it says twelve. It looks like there's going to be more after the twelve. Obviously, we find out that there's not. But I'm thinking, as I'm watching this back, okay, has he got to go back and try and scrape more dirt off to find more of that message? Because he gets disturbed, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And this is one of the times when he disregards a fly and then twigs what's going on. And we get another great jump scare when the creature's hand just comes straight out of the dirt. Bloody hell, that was... That was... (laughs) Did that one get you as well? Oh, that made me jump, man. That was the one. That was more so than the one behind the door for me. Yeah. See, that was the one I remembered. I didn't remember the door one, so I knew roughly that that happened. I couldn't remember if it came up from underneath or out the side. So I still jumped, but not as much as uh, as the door one. But, have you um, seen um, the original carry? Uh, I have, but it was a good few years ago now, so my memory my memory's not the best. There's the scene at the end when obviously the girl carries dead, and uh, okay, it's spoiler alerts, I suppose, for this film. But it's like <laughs> four years old, so if you've not seen it, well, I, I'm a fine one to talk. I know, but it is what it is. And the, the end scene is one of the characters laying flowers on the grave of the girl Carrie. And yes. this hand shoots up out the dirt and grabs her. And, oh, my God, I've seen that film so many times. And that gets me every single time. Even when I'm sat there watching and I'm thinking to myself, I know this is coming. Yeah. I don't jump. Sigh, do not jump. And I brace myself and I'm sat there and I'm thinking, don't, you know the hand is coming. Don't jump. 
every single time still and off I go you know every single <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There's just certain things that just get you no matter what. And it, it, that's what's brilliant about horror films. Um, mm. Just so effective. Um, and we're back in, but with that hand coming out and, and the creature being right there, we get um, we get another brief uh, mind TARDIS scene of the Doctor talking to Clara and admitting that he's scared and, and alone, and which is that there's a lot of sort of vulnerability at times oh, in this yeah. episode, which is brilliant. It, it, it counteracts all the all the sort of bravado, the, the bravado facade that, he's, that the Doctor's putting on and, and the, you know, the, the horror stuff. And it, it, it's definitely necessary. And it is absolutely how anyone feels when when they lose somebody. I'm sorry to keep going back to that, but it is a big theme of the uh, Big thing with this. Big thing with this episode. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, it's a um, massive part of this episode, isn't it? Yeah, um, and he's he's talking it through again, and then he admits that he didn't leave Gallifrey just because he was bored. Uh, it's a lie, and it's always been a lie. But that's not quite enough for the creature. And then he, he admits that the doctor admits that he ran away because he was scared. Yeah, which is a great little tease. But the castle shifts again. And that disturbs the corpse water, and we see some of uh, some of the skulls rising up to the surface, and then reset, and then settling again, which is a bit a bit grim. A bit grim, yeah. They sounded like um, like when you get uh, like a rum and coke at a bar and a bit of ice. <laughs> the skulls when they're the skulls when they're banging into each other sound like when you sort of you, you give your rum and coke a bit of a stir, and the the, the ice cubes clank together. <laughs> that's what I got from it anyway maybe that just shows well, maybe that's more of an insight into my habits than anyone else but I don't know <laughs> it's, it's been so long since I've ordered spirits in a bar god I used to love it I used to love a rum anyway yeah, getting off track um, <laughs> but we're back to sort of poignant doctor again because he's sat there and he he says something very true and again word for word he says it's funny uh, the day you lose someone isn't the worst. At least you've got something to do. It's all the days they stay dead. And I'm not sure about the first bit, saying the day you lose someone isn't the worst. They're pretty, they're pretty fucking bad. Yeah, it's not but, a good time, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's not, saying it's the, you know, he's not saying it's the best day ever, but it's just not the worst. But it's, it's a very sort of philosophical way of looking at it. Um, and it's it's obvious that he's he's still in mourning, um, you know, because we don't know at this point how much time's passed uh, for the doctor here, but he's taken long enough to know that he if he gets the from the creature to one extreme of the castle and then runs to the other, he earns himself a maximum of eighty two minutes to eat, sleep, and work on finding room twelve. Which is not a long time, is it? But we do get that wonderful moment, I suppose, when he's talking about the the 82 minutes he can three up for himself of the doctor sat at this massive grandiose table at this, at the top end of the table, sort of beauty and the beast vibes, isn't it? That kind of huge yeah. table sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit. Just having, just having a bit of soup. I like the, I, I make I, my mind. I'm thinking, where do you get the soup from? Is there a kitchen? Is and it- do you know, do you know what though? That goes back to um, the first time we see Clara when she's in the Dalek. And she's making okay. souffles, and Matt Smith asks, "Where do you get the eggs?" Because she's meant to be oh. trapped. She's meant to be trapped in a crash ship, and yet she's constantly got enough stuff to keep trying to make souffles. Yeah, 
Okay. And that it's just maybe that's just the, my brain putting you know putting the two things together. But no, there's it definitely felt links. Like, there. There's definitely there's a definite similarity, isn't there? Yeah, and just but as well, he's figured out that every room reverts to the original condition if left long enough. So maybe there wasn't. Maybe there is a kitchen. You know, maybe if there that is. happens. If that happens, then there would be an endless supply of cans of soup. Exactly. Because it would all just yeah. revert back, wouldn't it? So he, he grabs his, I don't know, uh, chicken and mushroom soup or whatever, and mi- microwaves his tin of grub, sits down at his table. He knows next time he goes back in there, that same tin's going to be back. I wish my fridge did that with beer. Yeah, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, we don't have a closed energy loop, so, you know, we, we, nah. we can't constantly recycle stuff, which is what the doctor describes it as, which, again, you know, why not? We will beat boop. Um and then he speculates. Really? Then he speculates. Maybe he's in hell, and he says that's okay. I'm not scared of hell. It's just heaven for bad people. Yeah, that that tickled <laughs> me, and that that sounds like that sounds like it would be a song lyric from like a really cheesy eighties metal band from a band that are just trying far too hard to be metal. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's. I think it's a uh, corpse water lyric. <laughs> uh, corpse water, the band. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of our band. We're gonna, when when we're done with this podcasting, like we're starting a metal band, and we're going to call it Corpse Water. And one of our album to- our album titles or our, our songs is going to be about exactly that. Well, we'll just go with an overly long uh, song title like Meatloaf, and just go. I'm not scared of hell. It's just heaven for bad people. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> this time next year. We'll be millionaires. <laughs> oh god, it'll be like we'll be we'll we'll make a movie and call it Spinal Twat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I genuinely think I would get lost trying to find the stage as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get lost anywhere, mate. <laughs> Jesus, it's a good job you had me in York, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. It was. I mean, to be fair, I'd have been in a pub. I just wouldn't have known where the bloody hell I was. <laughs> yeah, you're all right, Sharon. I'm going. I'm going out for a few beers on my own. Uh, I'll see you when you get back next day. You didn't come home last night. Where are you? I don't know. The the the, the, the nearest sign I can see says uh, says Wales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're we're back to Capaldi being uh, philosophical again, saying there's uh, there's two events in everybody's life that no one remembers, two things that happen to every person, yet no one remembers anything about them, and basically referencing uh, being born and dying. And mm-hmm. then he, he finds a skull um, wired into the teleporter that he arrived in, and this is the point I was on about before. And he asks, "Is that why we always stare into the eye sockets of a skull?" Because we're at, we're asking, what is it like? Does it hurt? Are you still scared? Like fucking hell, that's grim. This is this is that, deep, morbid. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. And again, could be um, could be some corpse water lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> for our song called "Deep Morbid Shit." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god, I, that's what I did to did to the toilet this morning after last night's beer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, he finds the word bird written in the sand. Yeah. And he's just like, well, I, I didn't remember at all. Yeah, but he's, he's there to say, what, what's the significance? And then we're at the point that I said before with the, um, where he goes to the top of the castle, he puts the skull on the edge of of the thing and he, he feels like he's missing something terrible. Um, at that point, he finds room 12. But it's just a brick wall in front of him. 
but you can just about see the crack in the wall. Yeah, it's you can just about like see the, it the other side. Yeah, it's almost like the castle has, has done its whole sort of spinning, rearranging thing, but not quite gone far enough, isn't it? It's like it's left a sort of sliver to sort of look through. It's, it's almost like it's teasing him. Yeah, yeah. Saying, oh, you're so close, you're so close. And that's the point as well where he starts questioning what's happened to the stars. Because he knows roughly where he is time zone-wise and he knows he didn't time travel. And this is another great moment where you see the creature in the background closing in. Yeah, it's it's really cleverly done as well, just that with the stars, because he it's one of the first things he says when he walks out of the teleporter at the very beginning of the episode. He says, well, you know, when it gets dark, you better worry, because then I'll be able to figure out where I am from the stars. Yeah. So it's literally him standing there and looking up at the stars and saying, that's not right. You instantly yeah. get this kind of, you instantly know what he means without them having to take time in this more tense moment to explain why he why he's doing that that's already been covered earlier on and i thought that was quite good because if they if he'd stopped and said oh i know where i'm where i am from the stars and this isn't right etc etc that would have took away from the moment a bit mm. yeah it would and it, it, it's, and then he's saying he's traveled seven thousand years into the future somehow and he lets the creature's hand get so close to his face and it's such a cool moment before he just turns around and says, the hybrid. Mm-hmm. Which obviously stops the creature. Um, I think it's a, it's a good sign as well how long he's been there, that he's now not necessarily afraid. Yeah, he's kind of... He's, he's developed this, this method of knowing he's got 80-odd minutes to have his tin of soup and do some work and so on. He knows that this, you know, the, the pattern of behaviour this thing has, and I, I suppose it's a, a regularity, isn't it? It's a, it's a familiarity, I suppose. He's he's familiar with his surroundings more. If, it's, uh, it's like anything, I, is it? If, you know, sorry, I've got, I've got to say this because I've got to get this out of my brain. So, if the doctor's doing sciencey things while he's eating, does that make it wee woo beep soup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> We, we beeps. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I liked it. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God. Fucking hell. We're on summit today, aren't we? I don't know. Yes, um, indeed. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's, he's talking about the hybrid. It's a Gallifreyan legend or myth about half Dalek, half Time Lord. Uh, you know, like super warrior and whose side is it on? And the doctor's confession is that he knows it's real. He knows who it is and what it is. And again, he references being afraid. Mm. But that confession causes the castle to shift again. And that's when we lose the skull, isn't it? Into the uh, corpse. Yeah. <laughs> that's when the skull, one more skull in the corpse water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one more skull. <laughs> It's like it's like the dark version of another brick in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some reason, for some reason, the song that came to my mind was "First Cut Is the Deepest." So I don't know. <laughs> the first skull yeah. is the wettest. <laughs> well, it, it would be, wouldn't it? Cause it's been down there longer. Oh, well, seven thousand years, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, they'd all probably be like similar levels of wetness, I guess, wouldn't they? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I'm, not I'm imagine there's. I imagine there's been an incredible lack of research done into that topic to know the answer to that question, to be fair. 
Yeah, you'd hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, the Doctor finds room 12, doesn't he? Yes, he does indeed. And it's it's now open. Yeah, and it's meant to be some sort of exit, he thinks. Or, you know, route to the TARDIS. But it's... Uh, it's behind a 20-foot-thick wall of asbantium, which is 400 times harder than diamond. Uh, they, I'm glad you caught that, because I, I know it was you know X amount of times harder than diamond and so on, but I didn't catch what it was called. So asbantium, is it? Yeah. Don't know where they got that word from. Probably just plucked it out of nowhere. Mm. Um, and this is when we get probably the best of the, uh, the sort of mind-tardis exchanges for me, um, which... It's, it's, it's the doctor again saying, "Why can't I just lose?" Yeah, it'd be, it'd be so easy to give up and all this, and he's having this crisis in his own mind. Um, sorry, I feel like I've taken up a lot of this, but I just love this episode. So I'll let, I'll, I'm oh, going no, to get, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you get some thoughts out on this bit. <laughs> no, no, honestly, it's what I, I enjoy listening to you talk about it. To be honest, because very much you know, especially when it's an episode you you, you enjoyed it. You know, you, you can hear the obvious passion and fandom in your voice. So, you know, don't don't worry about that in the slightest. But yeah, it's this is where we get to see Clara's face. So, hooray! And uh, <laughs> <laughs> priorities, side priorities. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but she's actually, you know, and again, we get a moment from Capaldi here. He's on the the steps in the in the TARDIS that lead up to the uh, the sort of half staircase, I guess, that lead up to the actual control panel, and he's talking. About you know, he's basically he's he's having his outpouring. He's breaking he's breaking his heart, isn't he? He's talking about mm. Clara and she's being gone, and he's he's welling up at the same time. And he he drops down to a seated position, and that's when Clara, you know, turns around or comes towards him and talks to him and puts her hand out and so on. And to me, again, it just shows how bloody brilliant Peter Capaldi is, and how yeah. many different emotions we're getting in this one episode. This almost. This almost solo episode. It's just yeah. so good. At this point, this is the point where I where I know he's twigged on uh, onto what's happening because mm-hmm. he says something odd that hasn't outright been explained yet. He says, "I remember every time," which is referring yeah. to every time. Well, what we see happens every time he goes through this loop, and he says it doesn't matter. What was it? He says. I remember every time, and you'll still be gone. Whatever I do, you still won't be there. Yeah, yeah, and that's and heartbreaking. It's, oh, really, really touching, really touching. And then we get sort of, we get sort of <laughs> really great typical, typical Clara thing. And you hear, and again, I've gone verbatim on this because I thought it was so good. And she says, "Doctor, you are not the only person who has ever lost someone. It's the story of everybody." get over it, beat it, break free. And then you see her hand sort of caress the doctor's face. And she says, doctor, it's time. Get up off your ass and win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which in the, in the Vincent and the doctor episode, I told the story of, I think I told the story. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I've not listened back to that one. Um, I think I told the story of how I remembered something my granddad used to say to me, which yes. was, get your hand up your ass and pull yourself together. <laughs> and this was kind of yeah. like the doctor's version of that. And it's always really in a, in a really emotional moment. That's always really tickled me. 
Yeah, and again, it's to me, it's the beauty of Doctor Who because it is dealing with something that's. I mean, it's dealing with loss. It's talking about this person who, who he loves, and mm. uh, and they're gone, and there, you know, the Doctor is in an incredibly dark, low place. But at the same time, I mean, Clara's there talking to him. But this again is all in his mind, isn't it? This again is all mm. in the, 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 you know, the, the TARDIS that he's sort of fabricated in his own head. So it's himself, in a way, telling himself, "Get off your arse! Come on." you're better than this. And I think that's, uh, and people deal with grief in different ways, obviously, but when you see somebody finally kind of break that seal, I suppose, or or maybe the grief never goes away. Does it when it's a loved one, but there comes a day when it may be easier to handle potentially. Yeah. There. uh, And that moment is, is, is great to see in, in other people that you love. And here the doctor is basically, finding his way or his, his this is the moment where he finds a way to deal with it i suppose yeah it is the doctor is always better when he's got someone with him in you know in, in terms of how hard he'll fight and, and doing the right things and and all the rest of it you know they say quite a lot in modern who that the worst thing the doctor can do is travel alone yes definitely because he, because he goes to these very dark places and he essentially, he's giving himself the, the do it for Clara pep talk, and, and you know, do it in the way that she that she would want you to. Um, which it, it does snap him out of it. It's, it is great to see. And he says, "No more confessions," but he will tell the truth. And he just starts punching this twenty foot thick, four hundred times harder than diamond wall. And it's it's not the punch for me. It's his reaction to the punch because it obviously bloody hurts. Yeah, you know, and he, he, he <laughs> oh, it looks t- he looks in so much pain, and the noise of him punching it, you can hear oh. your bones breaking, can't you? In the punch, oh yeah, so you hear his knuckles go, and, and yeah, it's, and his oh. fingers, oh, it's brutal actually for for what it is. Um, and he's saying, you know, he's talking about the hybrid is a dangerous secret, so he's telling him nothing, and he, he'll do. He said he'll do something far worse. He'll get out of here and find whoever put who put him there and stop them. And he says, "But it might take me a little while." Do you want me to tell you a story? Yeah, yeah. Now this is so because I mean, basically now what we're getting to is 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 the scene where we kind of speed up through the loops, aren't we? We're getting the kind of reveal of what's happening. Yeah, and and the Doctor is kind of. Do you remember the game Lemmings? Vaguely, I never actually played it. Okay, when you when you had one of the lemmings and you'd give it the task of digging or you give it mm. the task of drilling, it would just channel through whatever was in front of it in the perfect square shape of the lemming itself. The doctor is doing that to this, whatever the substance is called, this big wall. He's kind of tunneling through it with his punches over an incredibly long period of time, and it mm. reminded me of how in lemmings when the lemming just drill digs through the wall in front of it. I don't know why that just popped in my head now. It's not really relevant, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's kind of it, I can see where we got there really because he just he's resigned himself now to do this and to put himself into this loop. And he says, "Do you want to tell me a little? Uh, would you want me to tell you a story?" He says, "The brothers Grimm, lovely fellows. They're on my darts team." Um, yeah, that was- <laughs> <laughs> and he says he starts telling a story. He says, "According to them, there's this emperor, and he asks the shepherd's boy how many seconds in eternity." And at that point, he gets killed. 
Yeah, that's what that's sort of what I was trying to get at before I got sidetracked by Lemmings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you get you get a bit of the story, and then you get a bit more because each time he gets killed, he's further along this this tunnel he's making, isn't he? Really yeah. clever. Because the first time it happens, you're like, oh, okay. You don't, know you're gonna get the, yeah, you don't know you're going to get the next bit of the loop again straight away, I guess. Yeah, but we get the wonderful visual that's already been planted in our minds before. We see the TARDIS firing up, which signifies yeah. that he's not dead. And he said, you, you hear his voice where he says, people always get it wrong with Time Lords. We take forever to die, which is a really sort of dark wrinkle to a Time Lord's existence. Says so even if they can't regenerate, every cell keeps trying. Dying properly can take days, which is why we like to die among our own kind. They know not to bury us early. Oh, and that that made me just. Can you imagine if they, you know, say around humans and the time lord died? That you know, imagine being cremated or you know, chucked in a box and buried, and yeah. you aren't fully dead yet. Oh my god, it's terrifying. They used to have way back in Victorian times. They used to have um, bells uh, built into, uh, so th there'd be a mechanism whereby you could, if you were if you were accidentally buried alive, you could pull a, a little string and ring a bell, and they'd try and dig you out. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. I'm sure I read that somewhere. If, if it's if it's wrong, I apologise, but I'm sure that was something uh, my friend Mackenzie told me because she's real big up on like sort of like macabre history because she does a ghost walk in York. I'll plug I'll plug that quickly for you, Macca. If you're in, ever in York and you want to go on a ghost walk that's um, you know paranormal but also a lot of a lot of sort of history involved, go to Shadows of York. There you go. Um, yeah, but I'm sure they used to do that. And have the bell there. I, I wonder if that ever got used. If somebody actually had to use that little cord. I really hope not. I really hope nobody ever had to use it. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if they had to use it, then it's a good thing because they're not actually dead and they get dug out. So. Yeah, true. But anyway, back to the back to the story. Um, the doctor's figured out he's got roughly a day and a half to live and it'll take him about a day and a half to reach the teleporter. Mm-hmm. So he spends a day and a half dying, dragging himself back to the teleporter so that he can wire himself in and use the last of his life force and his energy to power the teleporter to effectively work like a 3D printer. Yeah, he says and there's you... a copy of him in the hard drive, doesn't he? Yeah. And bring that, bring him back, bring, bring himself back, as if he'd just arrived. So that explains the skull. It explains the hand we saw at the beginning. He he writes the word "bird" in the sand, or in the what I assume is corpse dust. <laughs> Actually, that's, that's a, a that, 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 yeah. That's one, a one, one, <laughs> yeah, one, one of us, one of us is going to split off. Oh, that could just be the acoustic version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's, it all ties in so wonderfully yeah i mean the, like you said the hand that we see at the very beginning is his hand the, yeah. the the word bird is written by and you realize and again the doctor even says himself there was never any other prisoners they are all him yeah and you twig that the all of the skulls are his skulls and he just keeps i suppose reprinting himself via the, the hard drive on the teleporter 
yeah. going through the whole cycle again, getting X amount of punches in on this wall before dying, and then crawling up, doing it again, and over and over and over again. And he keeps stating how long he's been there at the top of the tower. When you get that yeah. moment there, he talks about how many years it's been. Oh, I've got, it, I've got it all the, written down. <laughs> I was about to say, I bet you have, because I wrote 7,000 years, and then he just kept on talking, and I thought, Dad will cover this. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it gets but as, to, it gets well, to ridiculous sorry. numbers. Sorry to cut you off, but as well, when he, all these increments, he's telling a little bit more of the story. Yes, because he's further along in the, in, in the Lemming Tunnel, I guess. He's further into <laughs> the wall. So that, that could be, and again, it ties back into what we were talking about right at the very beginning. The, the the hybrid killer the killer cloaked guy moves at one slow pace. So when the mm. doctor is a couple of yards further down or further into this this wall he's punching through, he can get a few yeah. more words out because the guy's the, the the hybrid's taking the same amount of time to travel, same speed, sorry, to reach him. So he has longer to talk. So he's each time telling a bit more of the story because of the uh, the, the sort of impending doom taking a few extra seconds to reach him. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it, it goes, we start at 7,000 years. It goes to 12,000 yes. years, then to 600,000 years. And in the intervening 588,000 years, he's managed to get one word extra. Yeah. Because he started out with, and the shepherd's boy, Get to six hundred thousand years, and the shepherd's boy says, and then we go to one. We go to one million two hundred thousand years, two million years in the future, and then we get to twenty million years into the future, and we get the second sentence of the story. And you know, the emperor asks the shepherd's boy, "How many seconds in eternity?" And the shepherd's boy says, "There's this mountain of pure diamond. It takes an hour to climb it and an hour to go around it." Then we get to fifty-two million years, and we get this—we get another sentence of the story. Every hundred years, a little bird comes and sharpens its beak on the diamond mountain. About a billion years have passed, and when the entire mountain is chiselled away, the first second of eternity will have passed. We get to over a billion years. You must think that's a hell of a long time. We get to two million years. He says, "Personally, I think that's a hell of a," and he finally punches through. The, uh, the final part of the of the of the Asbantian wall, and the creature just falls apart, and it's all clockwork. Yeah, it's all cogs and gears and and all that. And the doctor just turns around and says, "Personally, I think that's a hell of a bird." So the the full story is, um, the emperor asks the shepherd's boy, "How many seconds in eternity?" And the shepherd's boy says, "There's this mountain of pure diamond. It takes an hour to climb it and an hour to go around it." Every hundred years, a little bird comes and sharpens its beak on the diamond mountain. And when the ma entire mountain is chiseled away, the first second of eternity will have passed, which is really deep. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then the doctor so, adds, adds, adds his own bit on. <laughs> it, it shows, I suppose, how tiny things are, I guess, isn't it? Like our, our time on this earth in comparison to how many millions of years the earth's existed and so on. It, stuff like that always always fascinates me you know like how many grains of sand on a beach and all that all that sort of stuff isn't it yeah i can't think of things like that because i go i go too far into my own head right and it starts freaking me out <laughs> <laughs> um but it's 
it's also the, you know the doctor is in this when in the telling of the story is the bird he's the one chiseling away at the mountain you know or the tunnel in this the lemming tunnel in this case and he walks out of this sort of cracking reality that he's punched through and that closes and it reveals the whole thing was inside his confession dial which is effectively yeah. his last will and testament that he'd had previously in previous episodes it, it's so clever isn't it and it because it's it is one of those things that the big reveal at the end is what makes it all fantastic but if you just watch the story i'm enjoying what i'm watching mm. but uh, i suppose i'm stating the obvious here really and I, i'm struggling to find the, find the right terms but the story i'm watching i'm enjoying and i'm wondering what's going on but then the reveal makes it as brilliant as it is it could have been quite simple for the reveal to have been a letdown as happens sometimes in in television i yeah. I, I think i've lost as one example <laughs> you know yeah. but um uh, the reveal here it, it was so good it makes this whole episode the fantastic episode it is yeah it, it, the reveal lives up to the promise of the rest of the episode um, absolutely yeah it, it, you'd, you're not let down at the end as you are with a lot of these things and it even sets up it then it then goes on to set up the next episode and we even get left on a great cliffhanger which is what we love in classic who yes exactly a child is in front of the doctor so all of a sudden and the doctor tells the kid to go to the city find someone important tell them i'm back tell them i know what they did and i'm on my way and if they ask you who I am, tell them I came the long way around, which is a wonderful reference to the 50th anniversary because the last words that Matt Smith says in that is that he's going, uh, he finally knows where he's going. He's going home the long way around. Right. I, I missed that tie-in, but yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a panning shot in the desert and we see the Citadel of Gallifrey. And the first time I saw that, I was just in awe sent shivers up my back and everything. It's a real big moment, isn't it? Because of, again, because of the, I suppose in the way that we've hinted at stuff and, and the, the stories of, you're getting more and more, I guess, bits revealed about the Doctor and the Doctor's past and, and everything that went on to create who the Doctor is, I suppose. And then you get this moment. It's like, whoa, okay. Oh, it's mad. It's absolutely mad. It is so good. And then he's, he's talking in the confession dial. He's saying, you know, you can probably still hear me just between ourselves. You've got the prophecy wrong. The hybrid isn't half Dalek. Nothing is half Dalek. The Daleks would never allow that, which is a great bit of logic, by the way, that nobody, that I, yeah. I didn't question it. You know, I didn't question that something could be half Dalek, but of course the Daleks wouldn't allow it. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I yeah. had exactly the same, exactly the same sort of uh, feeling when that was revealed. I thought, yeah, of course. Why didn't I pick up on that? I felt, I felt daft for not realising that earlier yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, same. But then he, he drops the bombshell saying the hybrid destined to conquer Gallifrey and stand in its ruins is me, and that's how the episode ends. Yeah, so good. So I want to watch the next one. Oh, do me! It, it's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, it goes, it goes on to. Well, I, no, it, to be fair, if you if you can't really remember what's what's in the episode, I don't want to tell you. No, because, I can't. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not, gonna, I'm not. I'm not going to say anything. You just need just go watch it. Watch it. Watch it after we're done here, and then tell me about it. 
we finished here mate i'm editing so i'll watch it tonight when i get into bed oh fair enough i'm probably going to go down to uh, the bar in my garden and, and have a few beers I'm going to end up messaging you at three o'clock in the morning. Like, that was bloody great. <laughs> and I'll, I'll message you back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go then. That is our Peter Capaldi story for our second season of the Doctor Who pod. Overall thoughts then, Dan? I adore it. I adore this episode. This whole, this whole this sort of trilogy, if you like, of stories is just fantastic and it was it was a great send off for Clara. I know I've not been uh, not been so fond of Clara in the past, but these last three episodes watching them at the time made me realize actually I do really care. As much as she may may have annoyed me at points, I really cared about this character and she was really good. I didn't want her to leave either. Imagine that's for slightly different reasons. <laughs> I think this is bloody fantastic. I think Peter Capaldi is incredible all the way through this. I think the big reveal at the end is superb. I think you get some brilliant moments of dialogue, some brilliant one-liners, and then you get some really creepy, almost horror-esque scary moments. You get some proper big jumps in there. But then you also get the suspense of knowing that the, the hybrid, even though it's not actually the hybrid, is is close and you've got that kind of feeling well, that, of dread. That, that thing was never never supposed to be the hybrid. Mm, okay. Um, the, the, the creature was just a, an image plucked from the Doctor's fears. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it was, it, it was insinuated, referred to as the hybrid. Uh, that's how I picked it up during the episode. It turned nah. and said the hybrid in its face. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, is that what it's called then? No, sorry, mate, you got that you got that completely wrong. Okay. <laughs> no, not not to get, not to like be a gatekeeping knob or anything, but it, when he turns around and says the hybrid, that's the confession that the time lords are looking for. Right. So okay. Because he because he said the words the hybrid and that he knows something about it, it stopped because it was leading to a confession. Ah, see, I just took it as something for me to refer to it as. You know, <laughs> obviously, I know it's this, it's this image of this woman in the veils and the flies and so on from his childhood that gave him nightmares. So that's different to, you know, what he was referring to later on, you know? Mm. No, well, to be fair, now you've explained it like that, I can see how you got there. But anyway, sorry, it's just a minor anyway. detail. I, I, I'm actually, <laughs> I, just, I just like correcting people because I'm a knob. You knobhead. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just... It's just so good. You've got that, that suspense of the the thing then, shall we say, getting closer. And those moments are, I've said it before on an episode of our show, Dan, with great horror for me, it's not about the kill or the blood or the guts. It's about knowing the killer is coming, knowing the monster, knowing Michael Myers is hiding behind the door or whatever it may well be. Yeah. And 100%. that's what this, yeah, that's what this does so well. And then the reveal is so good at the end it doesn't let down the rest of the hard work the story does or the story puts in to building up to that moment, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely right. It's, this is a a Capaldi masterclass, the horror and every element of it's good. You know, the horror elements are good. The, the more contemplative uh, moments are good. Sorry. Very, very good. I'm I'm good to underselling it a bit. It's everything just comes together almost perfectly. That's, that's all. That's the last thing I can say about it really is that, everything comes together perfectly. Yeah. Yep. 100%. And there we go. Then that's a, that's a new who I suppose 
next week, Dan. Bit of classic, you? Yeah, if you like. Why not? What you got for us? Right, as I say, this was... I didn't have I didn't have a lot of time to think of it, but I do have some logic behind this pick. My first thought was to get Colin Baker out of the way early. Okay. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like ripping off a plaster. And then I thought, I actually decide, I've decided on this because one, I didn't have enough time to go through all his other serials. And two, because I started watching this one and I'm, I'm actually quite intrigued by it because I've only watched the first five minutes, but it sets up a, a really intriguing world. And I think this was one you were contemplating picking. I'm going to go back to 1985 and we're going to pick up with Colin Baker and, and Perry, Nicola Bryant, where we left off. And we're going to go with Vengeance on Varos. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, like I said, the, the first sort of five minutes really set up a, an intriguing world for me. And I want to see if the relationship between Perry and the Doctor changes anything, you know, changes in, in any way uh, in the uh, in the second second Baker serial. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting. And also, there was um, uh, as, uh, somebody who's listened to the show on Twitter. Uh, the the it was at official ab underscore pls. Yes. Uh, now with less teeth than brain cells was is the is the name they're currently going by on Twitter. <laughs> uh, they a big Colin Baker fan suggested Varos as well. Vengeance on Varos. It's basically that yes. was one of the, that was one of their favourite stories. So I mean, that, that's brilliant. Yeah, great shape ties in really well with what we did last season as well. Yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah. So there we go. Like I say, it was it may have been a, a quick pick, but it wasn't without logic. Exactly, mate. Exactly. So there we go then. If people are watching back any of these episodes, whether that's via, I suppose, the BBC iPlayer would be what you find doc- New Who on at the moment is what I use, I guess. Yeah, uh, me and then too. Classic Who is obviously available on BritBox um, for a small fee. BritBox should give us a kickback for this, by the way. I reckon. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're following along and watching the shows or the serials with us, next week we're looking at the Colin Baker story, Vengeance on Varos. Yeah, I'm excited, I'm excited to get into it. Like I said, it was a, a decent settle for the for that five minutes, and who knows, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll warm up to Colin Baker. I think maybe so. I hope so. I hope so, because even though he is potentially, I suppose a, to some people not the great. Well, yeah, okay, okay, but, it's, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> to some people he's not the greatest, greatest person to play the Doctor or his version of the Doctor wasn't the greatest. To other people, he's their favourite. So it'd be interesting to see. A second story and see what you take away from that one yeah i'm hey i'm open to it i've changed my mind on characters before so i think this will be a uh, be a good experiment yeah excellent excellent stuff okay before we go then do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and all your excellent shows you take part in there dan yeah you can find me on twitter at dan griffin 21 usually tweeting about wrestling that's minimum six weeks out of date and movies that are 25 years out of date you can hear me on unbooking the territory uh, which is a wrestling post uh, wrestling podcast i host with uh, my good buddy utt rob where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling so anything from 
first episodes of of series we, we go you know delve into some long forgotten stuff and uh, we always have have a really good laugh with uh, with whichever guest we've got on any, any given week uh, and our side project is unbooking the tankatory uh, where we're going uh, match by match through the uh, the in-ring career of uh, of tank abbott it's uh, it's a niche within a niche within a niche but it's a lot of fun and we just we just have a laugh doing it we it's we're charting the wrestling career of one of the hardest men who ever lived how can you not have a laugh um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you can find those shows on Twitter uh, at UTT Podcast and at UTT Tank, respectively. Yeah, there we go. I enjoy those shows, man. They're great. I mean, UTT is fantastic as well. I love the concept because you're literally jumping around so many different uh, different companies, different wrestling styles, different TV shows, different eras, different decades. You know, just back and forth from like the first episode of this, last episode of that, and all that sort of stuff. It's great. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll tell you off air. We've got a couple of there'll be shorter episodes, but we've unearthed some really, really weird and wonderful stuff in for future episodes. Oh, nice! The weirder the better, mate. <laughs> Ah, oh, great stuff! Great stuff. Okay, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words. And if you rather use Facebook or if you use both, you can find my little group there on Facebook, SJP, all the shows and info. And those two there are your main points of contact for me. If for some crazy, silly, daft reason you would want to get in contact with me or the easiest way of finding out links to all the content and shows I'm involved in. For example, if science fiction and time travel is your bag, I also cover Quantum Leap on the Waiting Room podcast with our good friend, Mr. Benny Mac, looking back episode by episode of the, I suppose, time-traveling adventures of Dr. Sam Beckett. If professional wrestling is more your thing, then we have Chain Wrestling live on a Monday night via Radio Tekka's YouTube and Twitch streams, or it comes out as a podcast version later in the week, and that is with my good buddy, Mr. Mags. Uh, but we've also been having like a revolving door of guest hosts at the moment, but Mr. Mags is due back very, very soon. May even be back by the time you hear this. So there we go. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Uh, or you can listen to me and Scottish Danny looking back at WCW one show at a time from the very first Nitro right the way through to the very last on Nitro Nights. But most importantly, you can find this show on Twitter and Facebook at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who Pod. And again, you can find Dan at Dan Griffin 21 and me at SJP Words. Dan, I've enjoyed that, mate. That was good. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be recording season two, and I'm looking forward to some of the classic Who picks you're going to put forward. I can't wait to find out which ones I pick as well. <laughs> I wonder if you're, I wonder if at any stage you're literally going to do a random draw of somebody like you know Sylvester McCoy. Just, oh well, no, actually, you said you were going to pick the one I was scared of, didn't you? Oh yeah, Sylvester I did. McCoy. I've forgotten so, that. Oh shit! I shouldn't have said nothing. <laughs> you'll forget. To be honest, you'll forget it again by tomorrow. So I'm gold. <laughs> I did say I was going to go drink in my shed, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to clarify, it, I've been to your house. You have a lovely home. Your garden is amazing, and you have a pub at the end of the garden. It's not when you say I'm going to go drink in my shed. Just for the listeners, you know, out there, it's not Dan's not sat on an old lawnmower with his feet up on a on a knackered old table, swigging cans of special brew in a wooden shed of a hole in or something. He's going down to a, a purpose built pub in the at the end of his garden. <laughs> you saying I'm going to go drink in my shed pick, it creates a totally different image to what you're actually going to do, Dan. <laughs> But I'll still get as pissed as if I was sat on a lawnmower drinking special brew. 
just less oil on your arse. Okay. <laughs> we, we can only hope. <laughs> you can only hope. Oh. I look forward to talking Colin Baker with you again next week, my friend. I had an absolute blast. Oh, me too, mate. Can't wait. And to everybody else, as always, thank you for listening. I got lost at Download Festival once. Um, I, yeah. I basically I went to watch Slipknot on my own, um, and then decided to go back to the tent afterwards. Had a few drinks with a few people I met down there, and so on. And I must have, but basically, like it's it's so so big, and it's just a sea of tents. I I went left when I should have gone right. And the wife and the people we were with were sat up all night wondering where the freaking hell I was. And I kind of came from the woodland behind the campsite which is completely the opposite direction <laughs> where the stages were at like three in the morning. And they were like, where have you been to come from? It's almost like I could, it's almost like I could have walked all the way around the world and come through the woodland on the other side. Cause they're looking in completely the opposite direction to where I was, where I should have been coming from. But yeah, I got Fuck no recollection yeah. as to no, I mean, Slipknot finished at 11. I got back to the campsite at three o'clock having walked back from effectively where all these trees are. I've got no recollection of those four hours. I don't know where I was, what I was doing, anything. No, no idea whatsoever about what I was doing. That's impressive. Yeah, I blame. I think aliens. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, where were we? <laughs> Fuck, okay. Have you ever seen that clip of? Um... Oh, uh, Johnny Vegas on uh, doing like um, stuff for the last leg when they're taping it, and he just nah. keeps it. He just keeps interrupting when they're trying to do the, uh, the like the promo videos and intros and shit. So he does he does a load of stuff. I can't remember the full whack out, but the bit I always remember is he just it, they, they finally calm down and he, he just goes just bursts out with because I was doing like confessions. That's it. He's like I used to piss in the bath and pretend it was acid. I'd be like, I'd be like James Bond, <laughs> seeing how much, I, seeing how much I could take before I told him what they wanted to hear, and then the countdown, and he just goes, he just whispers to him, "I expect you to smell of piss, Mister Bond." <laughs> like that, and he just goes, he says, uh, he says oh, <laughs> "I once saw a man catch a fish and stick his penis in his mouth." <laughs> I t- and what was it? Stick his, stick, his, stick his penis in his mouth and I told no one. <laughs> he should have lost his fucking rod license. <laughs> I should have at least I should have at least sent a strongly worded letter to the Anglers Association. <laughs> and then, and then he, lets, he lets him calm down and Adam Hills is just like Okay, okay, right, okay. And then all he hear is balls deep in carpy what's <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's bad. It's bad enough for the fish because they look quite shocked anyway. <laughs> That's the title of this episode: like balls deep in carp. It'll make absolutely no sense <laughs> for anyone listening, but we we will know. We will know what that. Is. <laughs> oh god, this is going to go on the end of the fucking thing, and it me doing a Johnny Vegas rundown. I'll tell you what, it might well do. So I have press record now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, should we get into it? Yes, let's, let's. Balls Three. deep in carp it was. <laughs> you fucking prick. <laughs> now there's oh, the end of the show. <laughs> Are you gonna let me do the intro? Are you gonna let me do the intro now? Where have you gone? <laughs> right. Um <laughs> right, let's stop it now because we've got to do this. <laughs> That's why I turned my camera off. I think I'm, I, I can't. I, I can't keep my words out. I keep coughing and laughing. Okay, right, I'm turning my camera off and I'll mute and I'll come back in when it's when we're on. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> it's gonna take me twenty minutes to settle down. Now you might you might as well it down the shop or something. <laughs> oh dear. <coughs> okay. This time. This time. Three, two, one. <laughs> I was half expecting you to jump back in then. Right. 